Hello. What's going Hello. on? Not a lot. My scenery is really nice because there is um, an unfinished shed. <laughs> like a ton nice. of This is where my husband works. Um, and one of the children is asleep in the house. I can't be in the house because I'll wake him up. The, oh, man. It's just been a... It's been the last couple hours. It's been the last, <laughs> it's been the last three months. Oh, I made well, it on thank time. Thank you for making time. I'm stoked. I'm like, I'm just stoked I'm not late. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> How's it going? Hey, it's going all right. Yeah. Like I said, thank you so much for doing this. Can you let me know? I just got these new headphones. And if I'm, if I start to yell, then let me know. Cause I can't hear myself. Okay. Yeah. You sound great on my end. Let me know if I'm yelling because I'm a teacher. So I yell a lot. <laughs> I'll let you know. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I put this in the message to you, but how this all kind of came to be was one of our athletes at evoke was at the Leadville, um, the training camp. Um, and he had a great time. He came back and he was talking to Brendan, uh, who's one of the coaches at Evoke. And he mentioned you specifically by name as being like the best part of the whole trip. What? No. Yeah, yeah he did. He did. The scenery was number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he was he was talking about you and I was talking to Brendan and we're like, oh, we should totally reach out to her because we're trying to do more like mountain bike, you know, gravel stuff. And I was like, this would be perfect. That's so rad. That's so rad. Oh, I'm glad I made someone's day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. My whole heart. So getting other people stoked about it is pretty special. How long have you been involved? I know you've, you've raced Leadville like a bunch, but have you, how long have you been doing like the training? So I've actually only raced Leadville twice and I only, okay. I've only trained and raced for ultra endurance, uh, mountain bike races for about two years. Before that, I was racing um, Olympic uh, distance, like XCO World Cup cross-country mountain bike, um, which is much, much shorter, like an hour and a half total races. So I had a bunch of fitness from that. And then um, when I started doing the, the ultra distance stuff, I just kind of went all in and left all the short stuff behind and did two years of 100-mile races in 2017 and 2018. For sure. I'm sorry. That, it was a confusing question. I have like yeah, all your seminars. I, I, I guess what I meant was like your training at the Leadville, like for like the training, like what you did this year with when the Evoke athlete was there. Oh, wait, wait, like how long do I train for the event? No, I meant like, <laughs> this is super confusing. Um, when you did like that, uh, whatever they call it, the, the training camp. Um, how many years have you done that? Like been like a, a, I guess oh, coach camp yeah. only this is my first year. Oh, okay, sweet. I was supposed to do it last year, but pandemic obviously. And then before that, uh, I wasn't cool enough to be a guy. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I think that's true. Myself. Well, I had to prove myself, you know, <laughs> by winning twice. And they're like, oh, okay, nice. Legit. Maybe we'll have her come. <laughs> So, yeah, so you talked about, like, a bunch of your Palmares, which are, like, amazing. Um, but I wanted to kind of jump right into – well, I guess before we get into this, I want to do, like, the general question. Uh, who is Larissa Connors? Oh, geez. 
That I mean, I don't know. I can't answer that question right now because it's so confusing. I don't even know who I am. Do we ever know who we are <laughs> right now? Okay, so actually, this is recording, but I don't know. Are you just going to go with it? Like, this is it? Everything I say is going to go on your podcast? Like, no editing? Uh, well, we can edit uh, a little bit if you, I, if to you be want honest, me to edit anything. Like, have, Okay, well, you don't need to edit it, but to be like completely honest, I was planning on racing Leadville this year. I registered. I signed up for a steamboat the next day. I was so stoked about um, I, last year. I was so stoked about coming back after having a baby and I did all this training. I was super fit and then everything got canceled. And so uh, that was going to be my final year and then COVID canceled everything. So I was thinking that I would have my final year this year since I didn't get to have it in 2020. Um, of bike racing because now parenting is taking over more and more of my time. But in May we got a foster baby and um, my training fell off a cliff. Like I went from riding 20 to 30 miles hours a week to zero. And now I run because you can do that when kids are still sleeping at five 30 in the morning and you can do it for an hour and you can feel like you got a workout in, but I probably am not, going to make it to the start line at Leadville. And if I do, I'm going to be riding to just complete the course and cheer for people and have a good time, not to compete and win, which has been an interesting um, process. Like I'm so excited about growing our family. I'm excited about having two toddlers and doing all the kid things like going to the park and riding with a bike trailer and all that. But um, it was, it was a, a little hard for me to grieve losing that last year, I thought I was going to get racing my bike and, and kind of saying goodbye to the old me and uh, fully accepting my new life, like what that looks like with two toddlers, especially because foster kids take a lot more time than regular kids because there's a lot of appointments and visits and stuff like that. So it's just it's not the same. Well, first of all, congrats. That's amazing. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. It's something I've always wanted. And like, I don't know, it just always seemed like off in the future. And now it's here. And it's just so weird to like, I don't know, like realize that everything I've ever wanted, like I have it now. And that's the same with Leadville. Like it was just something that was always in the future for me. Like, oh, I'll do Leadville when I'm older. So when I won it the first time, I was like, holy heck, like I'm old. <laughs> that's not true at all well kind of <laughs> you got you get better at ultra distance bike races like level with age so i listened to an interview where you were talking about that and you were like gaining more life experience so you're like oh this isn't so bad and like do you think is that like really how you feel oh for sure like like the way that your brain when you're in your early 20s like wraps itself around adversity is so different than the way you process adversity in your early 30s I mean, not everyone faces a lot of like tough times in their life, but when I was in my early twenties, every bad thing that happened felt like the end of the world. Maybe I'm just dramatic, but now that I've lived through a lot of stuff, like when stuff goes wrong, I I'm not like the most gracious human being on the planet, but like when stuff goes wrong, I kind of have this, like, it'll be okay. Like, you know, worse stuff has happened. And then same with when you're like out on a really, really long race, like Leadville, you're like, this is only going to be eight hours of my day. Like compared to everything I've lived through, 
I can survive eight hours of the suffering, which is actually just beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's also, I wanted to touch on like when you're saying like, the, like you're going to have that last season and like if things didn't work out, like, you know, craziness happened, um, the pandemic, do you now like with taking, like coming to terms, like with your mindset of like, how are you grasping that? Like, like not riding as much, like, has that been a struggle? It, it honestly was a, a way more of a struggle than I expected it to be in the very beginning. Um, because it, it's hard to, um, have lots of things that you want in life and to understand where they fit in. And a lot of female athletes can relate to like not knowing when the right time is to have kids, not knowing when, if you should retire after you have kids, do I still want to race after I have kids? How much sacrifice am I asking of my partner and is it appropriate? And so, uh, we, um, like I always wanted this thing, but I still needed to give myself the the space to grieve not being a bike racer anymore. And so like just taking the time and, and like just feeling the feelings really helped, but yeah, it, the, the process just, I don't know, it, everything was so sudden and the, we were so busy for the first couple of weeks that we had the new baby, because like I said, foster kids take a lot of time. So it kind of, I was so immersed in it. I didn't have the chance to go still ride my bike a couple times a week. It was like, you have no time now. So it kind of just like yanked me out of that world and like put me in this new parent of two kids kind of mode. And that was really good for me. <laughs> and then I started running and I got injured. And then I started running again. And I got injured and then I started running again. And now I'm like a trail runner. <laughs> do you think, do you think there's a future in competitive running for you? People keep asking me if I'm going to be an ultra runner. Uh, uh, if I'm going to run the lead, the 100, which I like, honestly, kind of want to do. Friend texted me today. You're going to be in the Olympic tri marathon trials in 2024. Aren't you? It was like, mm. <laughs> No, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't think I'm fast. I just enjoy it <laughs> and then get injured a lot. Did you do any running? So like when you were doing like, um, like cross country and then even like all, like, and then you, I know you went into ultra endurance and stuff. Were you doing any running at that during those stages? I did a little bit every fall because I'm always worried about my bone density and, uh, as a cyclist, like you don't have a lot of impact. And so, uh, and it's also like just fun to mix it up and do something different. That's not just riding your bike all the time. So every fall I would do a, a little bit of like a month or two of running a couple times a week. And I actually started when I was in high school as a, a runner and old before I got a road bike and then like wanted to be a runner, but couldn't stop riding the bike. So <laughs> Yeah. I think initially, didn't you, did you start off in triathlon or you were going to do triathlon? Is that. I did a lot of collegiate triathlon and that's uh, where I, at my best friend's graduation party, I met my now husband and he basically said, I'm taking you to the dark side. You're going to be on the cycling team. Now you're not going to be mediocre at three sports. You're going to be good at, because I don't actually believe that that's true about triathletes, but for me, it, like I was a mediocre swimmer and a mediocre runner and I couldn't stop riding my bike. So it 
was a pretty great transition. And uh, we, yeah, so I, I, I loved triathlon. It's a, such a cool accomplishment to finish one of those races, but, but I, I do a lot better focusing on just one discipline. <laughs> For sure. That's awesome. I, I will. So I know like what you're, you're into some new stuff now and like you've had some life transitions, obviously, but I do want to pick your brain about like some of your previous training. Um, and I guess keeping on the theme of running, awesome. did you, did you find that the running was like super beneficial for like when you were racing cross country? I don't know if it was beneficial. I didn't really continue the running into when my training block started. So I would take the month of September if there were no races, more or less off, just ride my bike when I felt like it for fun. And that's when I would do a lot of running. And then I'd keep running a little bit in October, but my coach would start like the structured training would start uh, like around uh, mid October, November is a lot of base training. So not really a lot of intensity or intervals. And then we would pick up all of that in December and January and he didn't want me doing a lot of extra stuff because I worked the whole time I was racing professionally, not the whole time, most of the time. So you have to really like pick and choose where you're going to use your energy. And I tend to try to do everything and, and just, and working and running and riding, I was just never recovering. So I really had to like lay off the running when I was doing actual training, just so I could make sure I was recovering enough. <laughs> no, for sure. That makes total sense. Yeah. What about when you, so like you said, like when you picked it up in like December, January, I'm curious as to like riding at the level of cross country that you were at, what did like a typical training week look like? And I guess like specifically what I'm getting at is what I'm always curious about is how much of it was like on the mountain bike, how much was on the road, um, stuff like that. What was like, and were you going based on heart rate on the mountain bike or power? Like, I kind of want to get like into the nuances there. Yeah. So I had like a really unique situation because even when I started racing cross country before I took some time off to race full time, like when I was still working, I am a high school teacher. So I would bike commute to school at four 30 in the morning, teach for six hours and then bike commute home in the afternoon. And I had power on both my mountain bike and my road bike. So, um, there were some, so different blocks of training have different types of intervals. So depending on the intervals I was doing, I would either do my intervals, like, um, the muscle tension style intervals, like, uh, slow cadence, shorter, uh, hill climb intervals on my road bike, on my commute with my bag on my back. And that was not a problem. And then, uh, as we got into the shorter, higher intensity intervals, like threshold, then I would ride home, drop my bag, switch to my mountain bike. And then I lived right next to multiple amazing fire roads. So I would just go hit whichever fire road worked best for the specific um, interval that my coach prescribed. So like, like four by six minutes, I'd go to black star Canyon and it's the perfect grade. It's got shade. It's there's no one there. It's not like the road where like, if you try to turn around to go downhill, you have to wait for a car. Like, Mountain biking's great. You don't have to worry about getting hit by a car when you turn around. <laughs> have to worry about the mountain lions and the rattlesnakes. <laughs> That's not bad. That sounds, that sounds pretty amazing. Yeah, here on the East Coast, at least where I am in New York, yeah, we don't have 
the opportunity. Like you could take your mountain bike out on the road, but there's no like long fire roads like that. Um, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's so situational. Like people in different parts of the country, like what you have to work with is so different depending on like your location. And I didn't pick where we live based on training. We kind of just ended up in this random Canyon town and just coincidentally, it was perfect for training to be a bike racer. For sure. That's awesome. Now, what about in those specific intervals? Did you have, I have so many training questions. Did you have, what was, this is like pretty general and pretty like vanilla, but what's like your favorite and what was your least favorite interval that you were doing? Oh, oh man. It really, so I like all of them. I like, I have a love hate relationship with all of them. Like if I see my training plan ahead of time, like, obviously I'm like, Oh, that sounds terrible. I can't do that. But the sweet spot, like, um, my coach calls them steady state. That's obviously everyone's favorite. Cause it's your sweet spot and you're always successful when you're doing those almost always. But I really like, uh, like climbing repeat intervals. So the, the four by six, the, the four by eight minute, just like railing yourself as hard as you can go up a hill and the power doesn't seem obtainable, but you like, there's so many of them that I've failed in my life that I guess fail is not the right word, but then when you do actually hit the numbers on all four of them and the, you finish the last one stronger than the first, like that sense of accomplishment, like to me, that's as gratifying as winning a bike race. So that's my favorite because it it's so hard and it feels impossible. And then you come away with it, like feeling like a champion. Like I'll be out on black star Canyon celebrating, like cheering for myself and there's no one around and I'm just out there screaming Yes, I did it. <laughs> Especially after a day of work and community, you're like, how did I do that? <laughs> and I know that I can favorite- totally relate to. I think everyone can relate to that feeling. It's like I think you're like VO two max intervals. It's yeah. like completing those is like yeah, it's like an amazing feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. VO two max. Those are the ones that are like the hardest. And yep. I like I don't know if you don't enjoy that part of training. I feel like you're, you probably should find another hobby because if you're a bike racer, no matter like amateur, uh, you know, professional, whatever, if you're, if you have a coach and you're looking at an event and you have a goal, if you don't celebrate each of those intervals that you do along the way, you're not enjoying the journey. And the, the race is just the icing on the cake. Like it's over so fast. It's done. You have to enjoy all of it leading up to it. Cause that's what makes like, I don't know, your life rich and enjoyable and fun and I don't That's just my two cents. <laughs> well, I you think better we're getting, like, like <laughs> We're getting like into your mindset here. Like the, you're getting in the inner workings of like how you work. Cause I think if you're a person who really enjoys VO2 max, <laughs> then doing those long endurance, like doing Leadville and the, the endurance series that you did, the NUE, like you have to enjoy like being in pain, which I think you clearly do. <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> maybe too much. <laughs> well, too much. <laughs> so I think it's a about, physiology so, thing. Too. Um, yeah, sorry. Least favorite? <laughs> oh yeah, I guess least favorite. Well, what's the least favorite? Ah, oh, over unders. Those things are the freaking worst. When you're like two minutes of VO two and then four minutes of I don't even know threshold, and it's like you're barely making the threshold numbers, then you have to hit two full minutes of VO2 again or like above VO2. And you're like, 
what, why does my coach hate me so much? (laughs) (laughs) And then he keeps telling me to do it. I'm like, I can't, I don't succeed. And he's like, okay, do them again tomorrow. And then, then like next week, then next week, I'm like, when is this block going to end? Like, when can I move on to something different? These are so terrible. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that over under block usually does go on for longer than people want it to. <laughs> but so what about with like those workouts like say vo2 max and over unders did you was either of those when you would complete them be like okay hey i'm definitely race ready it seems like you're kind of leaning towards the vo2 max well i mean i never really considered if i was race ready because like my season for cross country and for leadville like the ultra endurance stuff stretch such a large portion of the year that like you go into the first block of races for cross country in like March and nobody's race. Nobody. I don't know. Maybe some people feel race ready in March, but I, it just never dawned on me that like at some point I was race ready. So, and I think I ride too much in the winter and that came from living in Southern California. So I would come into the March races flying and I'd be, placed a lot better than I did later in the year because everybody else is still building (laughs) and I'm already like (laughs) up here. You can't go much up from here, (laughs) but um, yeah, I don't think I ever really considered whether or not I felt, I don't know. It was just like always uh, like you're always progressing upwards, always, always, always. And so it's like, there's always more to go. (laughs) No, for for sure. So did you, that's kind of like, when your season is so long like that, that's hard to plan that out. Like, you don't know, like kind of when you should be going hard and like you have the coach to, to plan that out. Um, did you find yourself, the co- your coach t- telling you to hold it back? Like, okay, hey, this is a long season. Let's take it easy. Were there a lot of conversations like that? Yeah, he tried really hard, but it's, um, he tried, he tried really hard. Uh, for the cross country distance races, he like, he definitely did pump the brakes a couple times and like put in a rest week or uh, rest two weeks in the middle of like May or June, because he's like, this is the season's too long. It's not sustainable to be, to be going this hard for this long. Um, and he, the second year I raced Leadville, I wanted to race 600 mile races in six weeks hundred mile mountain bike races at elevation in six weeks. And he was like, uh, absolutely not. And I'm pretty sure he didn't want me to do the four that I did before Leadville. There was four in a row, a week off and then Leadville. I wanted to throw in Telluride 100 and then have six, but, um, he was really nervous about doing four in a row and, and firecracker 50 was a Wednesday before the first hundred miler. So it was actually a lot of racing in a short period of time. Um, but he was really good at being really calm about things and making decisions based on data. So if I say I'm going to do these races and I go out and he's like nervous about it, he wouldn't communicate that feeling to me. He would just analyze the data and then adjust my training plan as he saw heart rate power numbers doing certain things. And, and then make sure that if it was a problem, we correct it before it's too late for the, the big goal, which w- was always Leadville. And apparently yeah, the first for- year I, Leadville, I did too many races that summer too. And he said he was very nervous about it all summer. 
<laughs> well, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think that those those four or five you did, I think you won them all, right? I, I think I've won every 100-mile mountain bike race I've done. <laughs> so that's got to be an interesting field, conversation right? after the fact. Yeah, yeah, small fields. Okay, yeah. Well, and now I'm like, now I'm pissed because I wanted to do five. I want to do six in six weeks. Like, how cool would that be to race 600 miles in six weeks? I mean, I'm no Lael Wilcox, but it just seems like a kind of a cool achievement. <laughs> That's like Netflix documentary stuff. <laughs> and then I ended up with Rabdo and had a baby. Yeah, perfect. Well, we missed. So, yeah. So I want to ask you. I want to ask you about that. That was like, I want to like talk about like your mindset and like, we talked about that a little bit earlier, but when that happened, that's, well, first of all, I tried to look it up. Rabdo Mayo, this, I'm, no, I'm saying it wrong, but can you explain like a little bit of like yeah, what yeah, that that's is? It. Yeah. So I, I, I'm pretty sure there's a genetic component to it that like some people's body doesn't build up lactic acid or flush out the lactic acid the same way everyone else's does. So when I go hard, like I still have, I still get muscle soreness and I still get cramps and I still have a, a wall I hit when I go hard and I still have uh, sore legs after a hard race. But I think um, there is some kind of a genetic component that means that my body doesn't process lactic acid like other people's. So when I, was racing La Ruta. I, well, I think the whole summer of all those, those five races, those 500 milers plus then I only took like a day off and then I went and did another NUE. So I was racing all the way through November 1st, which was when La Ruta started. And then when La Ruta, the first day is, uh, I don't know how long, 60 miles or 50 miles, but it's really hard. And there's a lot of running through the jungle. And I just went, way, 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 way too hard. And it was hot and humid. And I thought I was eating and drinking, but I, I guess maybe I wasn't. So I got heat stroke and then my body started metabolizing muscle. And the classic symptom is that your pee looks like Coca-Cola, which it did. And the next day I got on my bike and tried to race the second stage because everyone told me that I was fine. And that I like, Oh, you're just sore. Cause day one is hard. So, and, and then I ended up having to drop out and going to the hospital because I couldn't, I couldn't stand over my bike with my knees bent. I either had to have my legs fully locked out, knees locked or sitting on the saddle and the stage was up a volcano and then down the volcano. You can't go down 20 miles without bending your knees. <laughs> this doesn't work. <laughs> You're going to crash. So I made it up the volcano, but I did not make it down. <laughs> Oh what a gosh. waste. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. I, I kind of want to go into the, how do you get down from the top of the volcano? But let's just say you get down from the volcano. Okay. Obviously you did. Um, so I got a ride. Then, <laughs> you got a ride. Okay, cool. So then I found people I think, who spoke English. It was like a miracle. And they happened to know okay. my friend in Colorado. She actually lives in Leadville. Isn't that such a oh, weird nice. coincidence? Yeah. And she's a doctor and she was like, holy shit, Larissa, you need to go to the hospital this instant. And I was like, mm, but what if I get back on my bike and keep going? She's like, no, <laughs> you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. You, you so are a that's... crazy person, but I think that that's, that's what you need to, to do these events. It sounds like. Be missing some brain cells. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, so what was the recovery like for that? And like, how did you, I'm guessing that's like, how do you handle that? Like, you're like a super positive person. Like, did that get you down? Like what, what happened there? Oh yeah. So I didn't really understand the whole, how dangerous it is until about a month later after I'd gone through a lot of the recovery and had done a lot of my own research and started to understand my CK numbers, like the protein in my liver and kidney kidneys and liver. Yeah. Um, I didn't really understand that I was on the brink of being on dialysis for the rest of my life. Like I, I didn't know how bad it was. And so um, when that, when I initially got back and I, my muscles, I felt like someone was stabbing me with a knife all the time in my quads and my calves. And so like the, the first couple of weeks were not hard because you know, you have a diagnosis, you know, what's wrong, you know, Oh, six to eight weeks, you'll feel better, whatever. But six weeks came and then eight weeks came and went and I still didn't feel better. And it, it actually was like really, really hard because I it was a point where I thought I'll never race my bike again because I barely can commute to school, which is a 12 mile ride. And I've always bike commuted for the last 11 years. I've been working full time. So it was really hard to deal with that. And I like probably had a little bit of depression. Like you can only be a super positive person for so long. Um, but when things are like not really explained, like when you don't really understand why, because I thought by eight weeks I'll be normal and I wasn't. And then two months later, two and a half months later, I still wasn't feeling great. Still had no motivation, still wasn't training, still wasn't riding my bike very far. And I went for a mountain bike ride with a friend and I said, it's really weird, but I just don't like coffee anymore. And the friend was like, are you a freaking idiot? You need to take a pregnancy test. And I did. And it's because I was pregnant. So I don't know when the recovery from rhabdo stopped and the being making another human symptoms started, but like somewhere in there, that's why I wasn't feeling better. And so that was like a huge sigh of relief that Oh, praise the universe. I might race my bike again, but I'm making a baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That's like a huge emotional range. (laughs) Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Especially because like I wanted kids the last three years, but I like, like all these female athletes, I didn't know when the right time was. And so I wasn't, I wasn't actively preventing myself from having kids. Like we pulled the goalie a long time ago, but I thought I wasn't capable because for three years we just didn't have a baby. And so I thought, well, like maybe I'm, I just can't. And uh, I also, because I was racing my bike and uh, like on the lighter side, I wasn't having a period. So I just, I never had a period ever. So it didn't know that I had missed one. And so like, I didn't even want to take the pregnancy test because if it came back negative, then I was going to like have to deal with the fact that I wasn't recovered from the rhabdo still. So that was, that was really hard and scary on its own, but having a baby is something we'd always wanted. So even though it meant like you're not racing bikes for at least another year, it still was like the happiest discovery. And I feel so lucky. Cause I, I, yeah, I was really down in December. I was having a really hard time with, 
accepting that I wouldn't race bikes again or that I wasn't, that my legs just weren't going to work the same. That's amazing. That's like, like, yeah. (laughs) So I wanted to ask, uh, that's amazing. That's like amazing timing. And it was like totally like meant to be, but now that like you've reflected on this and looking back, so I think so many athletes can, um, relate to that injury. I don't think people don't usually have that type of injury, you know, as long-term or as serious as yours, but now that you've reflected on it, like, can you say like kind of what you learned from that or what you would do differently or just kind of any advice there on, on dealing with something like that? Yeah. And this kind of goes with, um, having the baby too, because recovering from that was kind of a big situation also. Um, but uh, like my mental game wasn't super strong when I was recovering from rhabdo, like when I hit that six week mark, but I feel like I, what I've learned in my past, like all the bike racing I've done is that you like really need to respect your body. And so when I, I was going through the process of recovering from rhabdo and the birth of Addie, I didn't look at power at all uh, or heart rate. I didn't look at numbers for a long time. And I also like very much, uh, I still had a coach and he still was involved but I only rode when I felt like it. So I shut everything else out and listened to my body. And I know a lot of women who rode their bike all the way until their baby was born and got back on two weeks later and were putting out the same power numbers they had before, but everybody is different. And so respecting your own body and your own mind is really important because my mind wasn't in it after, well, when I was six months pregnant, I crashed pretty bad and had a gnarly concussion. And then I was like, you can't keep riding your bike because you're going to hurt the baby if you keep riding your bike. So uh, everybody's different, but you have to follow your own path because if you try to push yourself to get back in six weeks, like somebody else or whatever, it's just going to be frustrating and disappointing and and you're not going to enjoy the process. And those six weeks are going to go by so fast. Like the whole year of being pregnant, I don't even remember it. Was I even pregnant? (laughs) Wait, we have. (laughs) No, I think that's amazingly great advice because I think people generally do the exact opposite of that. And they're like, I'm going to be fine in one week, you know, and it just doesn't work like that. (laughs) I wanted to be like in my head, like it seemed like. It'd be so cool to like get back on my bike two days after the baby was born. But the Rabdo, that was another way the Rabdo is a blessing is that it took me back to square zero. And then when I found out I was pregnant, I had no fitness because of the Rabdo. And so I couldn't keep training through my pregnancy. I couldn't maintain any fitness because I didn't have any fitness to maintain. And so the prayer of seeing other people like Sonia Looney train through her pregnancy at the same time I was pregnant, like I didn't feel that pressure because I didn't have any fitness to maintain. (laughs) (laughs) That's sad. (laughs) So, so let's say, let's, let's jump ahead then a little bit. So let's say you, you have, have baby, have the baby, have kiddo. What then, what does training look like? How do you like pick it up again? Like you're, you're easing back into it. Um, Like what's, what's that process like? Uh, the timing, I feel like 90% of my life is just good luck, but the timing of the baby was also pretty phenomenal. Like I didn't plan this birth. I didn't plan any of this, but she was born the like 
a week or two after Leadville. And so basically the same kind of recovery and then build cycle I would have had after a, a year of racing, I had that same recovery and build cycle. Like I didn't ride my bike at all in September and in October I rode when I felt like it. And in November I started doing longer rides and on the weekend I'd have, you know, like a three hour ride that was planned by the coach. And then in December I again started actually looking at structured training and started going back to doing the, the things I was doing pre-baby to, to get ready for a season of racing for the year of 2020. So it, it just, uh, I feel like I treated the birth the same as the end of a, a hard season of bike racing. So the, the season of bike racing was making the baby. <laughs> that was a strain on the body. <laughs> That's pretty good. So then did you come back now? People talk about mom and dad Watts. Do you feel like you got those mom Watts? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think my numbers. So my coach said that they came back faster than he expected. Once I started training, like I'm no Laura King. I wasn't doing a long, hard ride six weeks after the baby was born because I needed more time. But when I did start structured training and then like start building, he said that everything came back faster than he expected. And the, the weight, the extra weight from carrying the baby like disappeared and was impossible to keep weight on because I was breastfeeding and training. So like in that aspect, like I was already in race weight and then already had the Watts pretty early, but I don't feel like I got, I don't know. Maybe mentally I got stronger, but I don't feel like I didn't have any extra Watts. I didn't see any, at least in my intervals. And, and there was no still- races that year. So I couldn't test it out. That's a bummer. I know. <laughs> but what about, were you stoked to get back to like structure? Were you looking forward to like, Oh, I'm going to have intervals. I'm going to have like stuff on my calendar. Was that exciting? Yes. Oh my gosh. Like, I think this is true about a lot of professional athletes. Like the structure keeps me sane. So like having, knowing like I have these workouts I have to do, I need to ride my bike this many times a week. Like if I just have nothing, it's like, well, I'm just going to go run 10 miles a day every day. And then I break myself. It's not good. But if someone like you need to run three miles today at 730 pace, is that that three miles turns into 10. You're like, I don't know what happened. It just kept running. (laughs) Yeah. You definitely need someone to keep you in check. And I feel like, especially someone who's doing ultra endurance events, like you're just going to keep going and going and going. So that's definitely, it sounds like a necessity for, for, for you and for anyone who's at the, at the pointy end of these races. (laughs) 